Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and it is only bloody episode 14 of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage podcast. Are you well? Let me start you off with some advice in the words of my old man. If you don't eat your eggs, you can't come to my library. How are you? How has your week been? Oh, really? Well, the offer still stands. I'll sleep with that man's wife. Uh, good week for me. Pretty, pretty on the down low. Pretty on the down low. Nothing much to talk about. A little bit of sunburn on the neck. You'd think that as a 28, nearly 29-year-old very pasty, semi-skinned milk, white ginger man. I'd have learnt to put sunscreen on the back of my neck by now. Ha 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 You couldn't be more wrong. I'm in a lot of pain. Send help. Um, so we move to episode 14. Here we are. We're doing it. It's happening. And you're still here on the journey to true cage nirvana. As we heard... To round off 1990 with Wild at Heart, the banger, the cast iron banger in the form of um, Wild at Heart, written, directed, produced by everyone's favourite weird uncle, David Lynch. Uh, Speaking of weird people, let's talk about Ian and get this out of the way nice and early. Uh, Now, for some reason, he's got a bunch of scaffolding up in the front of his house. Um, there doesn't really seem to be any need or reason why when asked he said he's getting his house painted which would otherwise be fine except his house is just like these big brown sort of cinder blockish textured bricks that don't need painting so what's your game here? Because if I don't know better and I do know better I'd say you've put that scaffolding up yourself in a conceited effort to look into my toilet and see how I wipe my anus. Okay? You think I'm you think I'm just insane at this point. You think I'm just imagining all of this. I'm creating this imagery. Uh, it's just a just a means to just hate upon a man. But that's not true. You know, I'll tell you I'll tell you what he did. Um now not only did he get some uh these like vinyl numbered stickers to number our black bins so that there wasn't any confusion. Um, he only kind of got them confused and took my bin to his house and put his bin at mine. And, you know, innocent enough mistake could have happened to anyone. That's the kind of thing I'll be willing to let slide. But the irreparable, irresponsible crime that he's committed is he's been putting some of that trash in our bin. He's put recycling in the black bin. In 2020? Does he not realise that the world is burning? Scumbag. Absolute bottom-feeding, barrel-scraping, draft-dodging scumbag. Go and serve. Go and serve. And give me a fucking break. He's got ants. He's complaining about ants on his patio now. Like, I don't know. They're not They're not in my bit of the garden. It's not my concern. So, oh, the problem with ants is that you don't know where the nest is. I'm sorry, are you the fucking ant whisperer now? Huh? Are 
Are you the king of the fucking insects? The creepy crawly creep? You mother flipper. I haven't got time for your nonsense. Listen, some people have asked me now, like, you know, does Ian even exist? Are you just making this up? Well, let me let me throw this bit of evidence your way and then you be the judge of what kind of man he is because he is the kind of man who, if he stood in the urinal next to you at a public toilet, right, he would definitely have a little side glance at your wiener and be like, oh, yeah. And then, and then later on, you know, a week, two weeks later, apropos of nothing, you'd just be trying to get back into your house, you're fumbling with the keys to try and get it in the lock and get back inside, and he'd stop you, he'd be like, hey, um, nice penis. That's the kind of, that's the kind of scumbag he is, right? 14 weeks in, you know, in the same way that I've been preaching to you for 14 weeks that Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of our generation, I've been preaching to you that Ian is a cuck, and I don't know how much more I need to say to drill it into your heads. Okay? Now, moving back to uh, David Lynch, everyone's favourite weird uncle, David Lynch. Now, what I like, personally, about David Lynch, other than Twin Peaks' uh, iconic television series, is that if you asked David Lynch what his favourite font was, he would definitely say it was Comic Sans. So you know already that he's a man of artistic integrity. On the flip side of that, on the other side of that coin, he's also the kind of guy who would steal your bones. I don't know why I thought of that, but it just kind of made sense. And if you approach David Lynch in your floppy skin sack that you used to call a body, you'd say, David Lynch, why did you steal my bones? Where are my bones? He would just say something like, I don't know anything about your bones. I don't even know what bones are. So the jury's out, I guess. Um, Wild at Heart, uh, just to taper into the film a little bit here, it's a black comedy romance crime Nicolas Cage film. Yeah, at this point, Nicolas Cage gets his own film genre. Okay? Is there any objections to that? No, I didn't think there would be. Um, And it stars, of course, Nicolas Cage and sweet Laura Dern. Yes, my wife... Uh, she was in Jurassic Park. You remember that film? Um, she was in Jurassic Park. A dog does a bark. Noah, Bill and Ark. O.J. Park. Uh, but don't worry about that. We're not talking about Jurassic Park. We're talking about this classic Nicolas Cage film, which uh, one review described as a wild ride and a must-see. See, sometimes films are just one or the other. It's a wild ride. Or it's a must-see. But now it's a wild ride that you must see. Are you telling me you're not interested? Because I don't think you're being sincere if you are. Wild at Heart, um, I believe the third book now in the Nicolas Cage chronology of films that's based on a 1989 book of the same name by Barry Gifford. Um, who I, th- I think Barry Gifford was in the Bee Gees. Night Fever, more like Cage Fever. And let me tell you, there ain't no cure. The only way out is achieving true cage nirvana or death by firing squad. I don't make the rules, but I've lost many good soldiers along the way. Lol. So the film sees Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern playing Sailor Ripley and Lula Pace Fortune. Both names you'd expect for horses, not humans. 
and they're on the run from Fortune's mother, who hires some naughty boys to kill Cage. Why? Well, we'll sort of find out, but let me tell you, she is quite a silly goose. So as ever, a little bit of backstory before we get into the nitty, the gritty, the meat, and the teat of this movie. So after reading the book and not liking the ending, David Lynch took it upon himself to write, produce, and direct the film and change the ending to fit his vision. I mean, really, he just wanted to impress Nicolas Cage. Um, you see, I know, and I'm going to let you in a little bit of a secret here, so come in a little bit closer, turn your volume up a little bit because you don't want to miss out on this. I know a thing or two from my extensive research and the best way to get to Cage's heart, first of all, as we well know, is to pour hot yoghurt on his toes and also nibble on his shaft like a corn cob. Num 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 num. Now, the film initially received mixed reviews upon release, but would later receive positive re-evaluation from critics because all critics are cowards and they will never look Nicolas Cage in his eye. However, it did also win the Palme d'Or at the 1990 Cannes Film Festival, as well as ranking 53rd in a poll of the best 90s films by Rolling Stone magazine, 47th by IndieWire, and 26th by Complex. Where does it range on my cage rage scale? Well, more bloody better than these nerds. Because I, and this is the thing, you know this about me by now, I respect and admire the greatest actor of our generation, and like all these cowards, I'll fuck their wives, I'll teach them a lesson, and I will win Cage Senpai's approval in that order. Uh, Another interesting tidbit as well, relating to the main man himself, in an interview in 2013 with Total Film, Nicolas Cage actually listed Wild at Heart at number three of his top five best movies, and um, a little side note, you better believe he put Vampire's Kiss on that list because he's bold as fuck. Cage in that interview would also describe the film as liberating, spontaneous filmmaking, also recalling how he asked Lynch, Is it okay to have fun while doing this? Um, which is a question I have often asked your wife. The context? Well, you were at work, so don't worry about it. So let's move into the film itself here. So we kick things off, as ever, with the first shot of a film. We start in a fancy pants building in Cape Fear, uh, an appropriate place for Cage to be, as Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern are stopped by some jerk who accuses Cage of raw-dogging Lula's mother in the toilets. That Pharaoh Tim Trees. I mean, you do know that Ian... Would uh, would pull some kind of stunt like that. I've seen it in his eyes. I've seen it in his sunburnt face. He's pictured all of our mothers. And I I will put an end to him. So you don't have to deal with his Tom Cuckery anymore. Um, so the jerk pulls a knife on Cage. Cage quickly beats the ever-loving shit out of him. Honestly, just like a sack of shit. No questions asked. He's down. Uh, bloodied face. Uh, hilarious. Absolutely hilarious way to start a film. And all the while, there were these um, Power Rangers-esque guitar chords just riffing away. And I'm already throbbing. 
I am already throbbing. We're only a few minutes in. Two hours of this film remain to to follow up on that absolute noise. So, resultingly, uh, Sailor gets arrested, um, ACAB, ACAB, and 22 months and 18 days later, he gets out of the clink, Lula picks him up, and, you know, whilst he was in jail... And I don't even think this is something that needs to be mentioned, but I'm gonna I'm gonna cover it anyway. You know for a fact that in jail, Nicolas Cage was the biggest dog with the biggest hog. And to that reward, he's uh returned his snake skin jacket. Uh it's a wonderful looking jacket, a real collector's piece. I too would now like a snakeskin jacket. I don't know if that's uh an ethical thing, it can be fake, but I just want to walk around in a snakeskin jacket with my shirt tucked into some tight denim jeans and high-kick things. That's the dream. That's the, that's the kind of man I want to be, okay? And then they get a room at a different Fancy Pants hotel, and they raw dog. So, I know you're wondering, you know, we're a few minutes into this, and you're wondering, well, what, okay, all good and well, he's got a snakeskin jacket. When are they going to raw dog? They're doing it now, Okay? The streak continues. We're not going to let this die. We're going to have 100 episodes of this, of me beating a dead donkey, me flogging a dead ass, <laughs> raw dogging, okay? Um, Luda then has some flashbacks about her uncle, a car exploding, a fire laughing at her, because apparently Nicolas Cage's hog has the power to give you PTSD. What a man. What a talent. Um, now, at the same time, Lula's mother, uh, Marietta, conspires with her little side piece, Johnny Farragut, to recover Lula. Now, I feel that Farragut is another name that absolutely doesn't exist, nor uh, does the name of the guy that Cage killed at the start of the film, which I actually found out was Bobby Ray Lemon. Nonsense. Nonsense. what What if I just told people to start calling me Jimmy... Uh, flomp pomegranate yeah would you accept that as well would you accept that i was a gangster if i had a name like jimmy flomp pomegranate Uh, whatever i mean however another flashback reveals that marietta actually did try to tempt cage's untamable hog in those toilets foul temptress but sailor recalls the events in the same toilet stalls um where marietta calls him a piece of shit that belongs in a toilet, and interestingly, on the word shit, and a credit to the um, author and filmographic skills of Mr. Lynch, on the word shit, the camera actually has a close-up of an actual toilet, just in case you weren't sure about the connection between the two, or if you just lost all reference of what a toilet was. Uh, Sailor basically tells her to fuck off, she threatens to kill him. Hmm, suspicious, I doth say. Um, so next, Sailor and Lula go to a metal concert and dance, um, which itself is a very cagey thing to do, but it's worth mentioning here that Nick Cage's moves are some of the most impressive I've ever seen. Now, I'm, uh, it's a rhetorical question, but who else do you know that can rock out in a snakeskin jacket, while busting out a roundhouse kick. No one, exactly. But alas, 
snakeskin and roundhouse in the side. Some bum insults Lula by grinding on her and then turns to Nicolas Cage and insults his snack jack. His snack it jacket, his snake jackaroon. A very bad move. But next is a little uh, a little audio clip here, and this is what you call pride. Look like a clown in that stupid jacket. Plus, it's a snakeskin jacket. And for me, it's a symbol of my individuality and my belief in personal freedom. So fucking proud. That's the American way right there. I used to have a green coat a few years ago that I wore all the time until I eventually realised it just made me look like a sad farmer. Uh, but Sailor, of course, one-shots this jerk, makes him apologise to Lula before sending him on his way. And then absurdly, um, about nearly 21 minutes into this film, an extremely sweaty cage takes the microphone from the band and swoons a generation of human beings of every sexuality with his crooning rendition of Love Me by Elvis Presley. It's got to be seen to be believed. Um, the women in the crowd scream for him, but it's this same piercing, haunting scream repeated over and over again, which honestly, it sounds like seagulls about to rip a child apart. So the natural question is, when you have swooned your beloved with a rendition of Elvis Presley, how are you rewarded? Let me tell you, Sailor is rewarded in the form of a raw dog. One leg over the shoulder and thrusts ahoy because, um, evidently, Cage knows how to get the most from every single bank. I don't make the rules, people. I just report the facts. Post-hogging, Luna tells Sailor how her dad died, which was by uh, apparently pouring petrol all over himself and lighting himself on fire. So, as a reply to this um, very emotional revelation, Cage grabs her right breast and raw dogs her again. The raw diddly d. I personally don't know what you're meant to do when someone tells you something like that, so it's probably exactly the right course of action. Um, what do you talk about, Bozcoitus? Let me know on the usual social media at Cage Rage Pod on Instagram, at Cage underscore podcast on Twitter, uh, coffee.com forward slash Daryl Edge if you want to make some kind of donation. You don't have to, but it's an option and it's there. The Spotify is always a good one to go to if you want to follow that and share it to people that you think might like it. And YouTube, as and when I can be bothered to update it, which will probably be never, but I will get round to it at some point. So as Sailor and Lula cruise to their um, next destination, Marietta, the foul temptress, also hires a guy called um, Marcellus Santos, another terrible name, uh, but also a stone-cold bastard, to kill Sailor as well. And this is, honestly, why making a first impression, a good first impression, with your partner's parents is so important, because then they pull shit like this. But skipping ahead now to um, 35 minutes in, perhaps the most important revelation that we've had in the entire history of Cage Rage so far, Laura Dern confirms what I think we all really knew. You are so aware of what goes on with me. I mean, you pay attention. And I swear, baby, you got the sweetest cock. It's like it's talking to me when you're inside. Like it's got this little voice all its own. Oh, you get right on me. 
Need I say more? Need I say more? Now, earlier in the film, what a transition. <laughs> earlier in the film, uh, Santos makes a call to a guy. Um, I think he's called Mr. Reindeer. He seems to be kind of some head of a, um, a gangster assassin guild. If you give him some silver coins, uh, some silver dollar coins, he sorts something out to kill people for you. Um, and he's implied as well, this old guy, to always have some form of fucking suck parties. Um, I don't know if that is actually the case. Um, and I probably made that party name up. But he was in a tuxedo, and in one scene he was taking a call while taking a shit. Um, which is actually what I was doing when I was offered my job back. So I'm probably right. I've probably got some you know, experience on this kind of thing. Um, so don't worry about it. Uh, Cage also encounters a previous sexual encounter to Lula, um, to which he gets her, and I quote, hotter than Georgia asphalt. So I assume that's the kind of heat where you have to put your, the back of your hand on the pavement to make sure it doesn't burn an animal's toe beans or something like that. Um, but coming off of that, we've got another solid quote here, and I'll just let this one speak for itself. Man, I had a boner with a capital O. Anyway, I found her lying in a room filled with assault weapons and spank house magazines. So I slid my hand between her legs again and she closed her thighs on it. It's a heck of a thing I'm not Italian because mama mia. So they, they roar each other, roar again. Say what you want. Say what you want, but Cage is on form in this film. Good lord. Um, there was one clip of them uh, banging away, and I swear to God that Cage had Laura Dern in a full Nelson as he did it, um, which is my kink, so don't you shame me about that. They also have another bizarre uh, post raw talk, uh, which is what this is called now a bizarre post raw talk about Lula's cousin called Dale. Um, who was just a bit of a, a bit of a weird character, and uh, apparently once put a cockroach on his anus. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know either. Um, whilst this is all going on, Marietta is also going insane because of all the death and destruction she's causing. So she covers herself in lipstick. Make it make sense. Um, she's redder than Ian's face after an hour in the sun. Um, so we get to just before the hour mark. Um, they're driving through the desert. They have a little rock out in the desert, which is also a great opportunity for our random cage scream of the week. That's come back. Hey. Ripley, you get me some music on that radio. This is instant. I made it. The victim of a sexual assault. Cool. <laughs> um, now, what you what you don't see, because I know you're only listening to this, but um, it's about fifty-one minutes and thirty seconds into the film. Uh, is Nick Cage actually? Like athletically, gymnastically flips 
out of the car. It's in a leather skin, uh, leather snakeskin jacket as well. Very impressive. And through all of those screams, he's just like doing karate punches. He's doing kicks. He's doing jumping roundhouse kicks. Um, that is what I call rocking out with your cock out in the desert. So impressive. And next time I go to Pop World, when that opens up again, people are getting fucked up in the dance floor um, when S Club 7 comes on. So there's a little warning for you. Um, so into the nighttime on the desert, uh, Lula sees a vision of a witch because David Lynch, they chance upon a car crash with only one survivor, a young woman who later dies in front of them. Um, because apparently the sight of Cage in a snack jack was simply too much. Well, one hour in. One hour to go. Meanwhile, old Detective Farragut is attacked and killed in his hotel room. Now, that's what I call room service. He is... um, Well, I say killed. He gets killed by the people who attacked him. These weirdos abduct him. um, There's some kind of weird, culty, horny thing that goes on. They shoot him in the head. Um, I don't really understand what happened here. He got... I think the the Stone Cold Bastard hired them to abduct him and then kill him and take him out of the picture because reasons. Um, it was this dark room, all weird, all unnecessarily sexual, gets a bit horny. Um, it's the same kind of vibe I imagine that Ian does at his quote-unquote job, selling beds, more like watching other men fuck on his wife. Sailor and Lula take refuge in a motel. Uh, Lula does a sick Sailor buys a candy necklace, remember candy necklaces, with 40 different flavours, each a different reason that he loves her. Ain't that sweet? Uh, No pun intended. Each, more importantly, a different reason to raw dog the night away, as is their want. We don't kink shame, we don't shame, we don't judge on the Cage Rage podcast. Um, Later, into the second hour, because of course he does, Willem Dafoe rocks up as a guy called Bobby Peru, another ridiculous name, with a pencil moustache, a terrible teeth to gum ratio these little nublets these little um corn bits that he calls teeth all dirty and horrible um the kind of look um suggests that he's never had anything other than it's consensual maybe sex with beasts um he just climbs into zoo cages and ruts like a fucking dirty bastard that's not even the weirdest part of this scene there's some guy who talks about a dog and barks at cage which in and of itself is an unforgivable transgression. Um, but because of the sicking earlier, going back to that, Lula later tells Sailor that she's pregnant. And as an answer to this, Sailor smokes two cigarettes at the same time. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, what that proves is, is if you raw dog at that amount with Nicolas Cage, you are going to have a child inside you, a little bun in the oven. And it also proves that Nicolas Cage has double the lung capacity of the average human man. So Bobby Peru is, I think, some other kind of assassin, but he's a little bit a lot of a creep. Um, and then he gets, in this next clip, as we're going to see, he gets a little, a lot awful, which it's only made worse by Willem Dafoe's giant face. Just imagine it salivating, and this is this is kind of how this scene goes. Baby, I'll fuck you good like a big old jackrabbit bunny. Jump all around that hole. Bobby Peru don't come up for air. Get out. Genuinely 
frightening, genuinely unsettling. Um, after this, though, he gets, unfortunately, Hansi uh, does sexually assault Lula and just repeats and repeats and repeats uh, to make her say that she'll fuck him, um, for which she uh, finally succumbs, unfortunately. And at that point, he suddenly just leaves, which further traumatizes Lula, who it turns out was um, actually sexually assaulted by her uncle as a child. Um, now afterwards, Bobby finds Sailor in a bar. He persuades him to rob a store with him, but robbing the store is important because we next get a glimpse of Nick Cage in some black Y-fronts. Remember Y-fronts? Remember not being able to used to feel your legs because they cut off all your circulation? <laughs> Good times. Uh, Lula says that the whole world is wild at heart and weird on top. So don't worry, gang, it happened. A character said the name of the film, and now we can all be like, oh, so that's why it's called Wild at Heart. And so, so by, uh, despite some second thoughts from toing and froing, Sailor does go ahead with the armed robbery. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, okay? Um, it was kind of at this point into the second hour, things have transitioned. They've gone down a dark highway, which I think is a intentional transitional uh, motive that David Lynch uses into the second hour. I, I'm not going to act like I knew exactly everything that was happening. And while this is uh, undeniably a 10 out of 10 film because it has Nicolas Cage, um, I was a little bit lost on some things. So as far as I can recap, Sailor and Lula are on the run. There's some references to fire and some on-the-nose references to The Wizard of Oz and Willem Dafoe appeared out of the shadows. Um, so to kind of summarise where I'm at at this point with the film, um, there's this quote. And honestly, me too, you know, um, I think it's a very poignant quote. I think it really touches on a lot of the themes of the film. And I also think I've suffered from sunstroke. Um, but we go ahead just about two minutes. Um, and at this little quote, Imaru McGee here, as Bobby gets a little bit loco, and he kills a clerk before turning the gun on Sailor. Okay. Why don't you step up here, hot shot? I'll slap that smile right off your face. So if you want to see a close-up of Willem Dafoe's face as he's got spit coming out of his mouth and he's giggling, um, one hour, 46 minutes into this film, that's where you, that's where you get that. Nightmare inducing. Um, so, fortunately, Sailor escapes, but Bobby does get shot by a cotton. This, this, this little part here when Bobby meets his end, um, hilariously grim. Um, he gets shot by this cop who's outside about six times, and then he falls on his shotgun, blows his own head off. Absurd enough. Well, then the head goes flying and slaps against a wall. Um, and sounds like a particularly meaty fish. So, yeah, Laura Dern, this film is truly wild at heart and weird on top. When, and I can't, and some of you are going to be like, well, yeah, obviously, but when Nicolas Cage is the most sensible part of a film, you know that something is off. And this is under the guidance of David Lynch, no less. Um, and then this is this has to be categorised as, okay, that's a scene that happened. One of the clerks that was shot by Bobby, he is crawling around in his own blood, covered in blood, 
looking for his hand that was apparently shot off by that shotgun. Um, and then we get a quick like two second clip of a dog running out with that hand, uh, never to be seen again. That's that's a thing that happened, and I'm so tired. Subsequently, um, Seder is put in jail. Lula writes to him and explains that she's keeping the baby and she's naming him Pace. Pace Pomegranate, apparently. Six years go by and Lula meets Sailor after his jail stretches over, where he no doubt again proved himself as the biggest dog with the biggest hock. Sailor meets Pace and shakes his hand from one gentleman to another, the only way to greet a child. Also, Pace has a mullet, so there's that. Um, Sailor walks away from the two, though, having decided in his jail time that he's just not good enough for them. So as he walks away, he, for some reason, gets beaten up by a gang, and while unconscious, he, for some reason, sees a fairy godmother who encourages him not to turn away from love and go back to Lula and Pace. Uh, Followed up by this quote, which is one of the greatest turnarounds and most incredible bits of character development you've ever seen on cinema so soon after a swift beating. Had enough, asshole? Yes, I have. And I want to apologize to you gentlemen for referring to you as homosexuals. I also want to thank you, fellas. You've taught me a valuable lesson in life. Lola! And honestly, who hasn't had an epiphany like that, you know? Um, so with a swollen, broken nose, he sprints back to Lula and Pace uh, across the roofs and hoods of cars, embracing Lula as Pace smiles on. And then Sailor serenades Lula with another Elvis song. Now, earlier he serenaded her with um, Love uh, Love Me by uh, Elvis Presley. And Lula had asked, oh, why didn't you serenade me with Love Me Tender? That's my favourite Nicolas Cage song. But he said uh, that was... The only time he would sing that was to the woman he wanted to marry and spend the rest of his life with. So with that, he serenades her all while in his signature hog-raising snakeskin jacket as the credits roll. So the moral of this story, always make a good first impression when meeting your other half's parents, else you'll end up in jail and possibly a parent yourself, I think. Um, This one kind of went off the rails a little bit in the last half. But this is... This was a good film, uh, I'm not going to lie. I did, I did enjoy this. Um, it's well and truly a Lynch film. It's got his hallmarks all over it. Um, a lot of dark imagery, a lot of allusions to the Wizard of Oz scattered throughout. There was uh, visions of witches, fairy godmother, Lauren clicking together the heels of her uh, red shoes. And not to mention as well, no less than five actors from Twin Peaks making appearances throughout. Because uh, I read that this was filmed at the same time as Twin Peaks, so they just had access to those actors. Um, but in terms of acting, it's a solid cast all throughout. Laura Dern's terrific, Nicolas Cage is obviously outstanding. Truth be told, um, like I say, it's a very good film. As a Nicolas Cage film, of course it receives 10 out of 10. Um, I will personally offer this a gold cage. Get that, a gold Nicolas Cage. Um, some might say it's maybe a silver cage, um, because of the textbook Lynchian flourishes, um, I do fear it might throw your average film goer off a little with all the sort of stylistic choices that he makes. Um, 
personally speaking, if it was Ian who got beat up at the end, then it would get um, a super golden cage, a golden upgrade, um, which doesn't exist. Or oh, does it? So, to round off, though, for me, um, we come to the end of episode 14, a, a lovely film. It is available on Netflix to watch in its entirety, which I do recommend you give this one a shot. Um, you know, it's Nick Cage's number three film. Are you going to do him the disservice of not watching his third greatest film? That means it would end up on his own Rushmore of Cage films. So are you going to deny him that? Are you going to deny him that joy? But uh, there we go. That's it. We go to the end of uh, episode 14 of Cage Rage. Nicholas Cage podcast as ever. We're on Instagram at Cage Rage Podcast, Twitter, Cage underscore podcast, Kofi.com forward slash Daryl Edge if you want to throw something my way. Again, you don't have to. Uh, listening and sharing and enjoying is reward enough in itself. We're on the YouTubes and the Spotify. Uh, please do give us a little follow on Spotify, share it around to people that you think might like it. It helps the uh, helps the podcast grow, and there's always room for more on the journey to true cage nirvana but to round off to round off round off i know i've said that before but to actually round off now while i have nothing against Elvis presley at all i know some of this film can be perceived to be a little bit confusing if you're not sure what to expect when you're going into so to add my own little niblet onto the end of this i think there's only one song that truly goes with the ending of any film so let's just imagine that nicholas cage had screamed lula He'd sprinted down some kind of Los Angeles highway, sprinted across cars, embraced her on the hood of that car, and then suddenly... of editing this episode I realised truly that even though I didn't touch on a lot of what the plot was that's because on reflection I actually have no idea what happened in this film